Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse, and thank you so much for taking the time to check out the podcast. And this episode is a New Year's special, as in it's uh, the first hosted episode of the New Year. Um, and as I mentioned in the last episode that I released is that I'd been having difficulty with January blues and everything else, hence why there's been a delay in getting any podcasts up. But this was done about a week ago, and um, uh, there's another episode in between that I wanted to put up as well, and we're going to do a part two to talk about our sort of aspirations for 2017. Um, and we'll talk about some more other stuff, in the, and that's going to be released uh, very soon, in the next couple of days, actually. Um, so yeah, this episode is us talking about 2016. We kind of go through a rough idea, even though we, we talk about it a little bit. Um, that's our intent, is to talk about 2016. What actually ends up happening is we talk about random tangents... Uh, because that's kind of what it's like when me and Ricky get together. Ricky, who's uh, the co-host of the host ones, he's at Vivid Ricky, as well as we are on tweets, which is at Geek underscore Apocalypse. And yes, yeah, so we talk about a whole host of things. Um, obviously, some political stuff because obviously 2016 was like that. There were people who died, a lot of people who unfortunately died. But it's, it is a positive. Uh, has some positive stuff that we talk about too. Um, obviously, mental health comes up in in terms of the conversation because we are advocates for that. Um, and uh, also we talk a little bit about sport because there was some unbelievably amazing stuff like Leicester winning the Premier League um, I know that sport isn't for everyone and I know some people don't like when we talk about sport but you know that is a monumental achievement uh, in any sporting calendar and while I'm recording this a huge uh, congratulations to um, Roger Federer because I stayed up to watch the Australian Open and that was pretty unbelievable that he'd won even though I was kind of rooting for Raphael Nadal I'm a big fan of his um, so as I said, we're going to be doing another episode uh, hosted, like a part two of this New Year special, where we're going to talk about all the stuff that's happening in 2017, what we're looking forward to, and all that kind of stuff. And as I say, it's going to be released in the next couple of days. Um, there has been a lost episode, um, which um, basically I've been trying to edit for a while, which I will get to do very, very soon. So hopefully that will be released very soon. And then as I mentioned in the last podcast before this, my goal is to take some time off. Uh, because um, I think having done so, having done over around about forty-five podcasts over the last year, um, and not really having any break at all from this and everything else that I do, um, I think that's kind of I'm kind of needing um, a holiday slash break. So um, that's going to be my goal. So we're going to be doing that. I'll do another episode with Alex from BattleBards because that's been on the calendar, and then maybe do another hosted in February. But I'm planning on not doing as many. So obviously, if there's a bit of a gap, that'll be why. But thank you for listening to this episode. If you're on iTunes, please do consider subscribing. But this is our New Year's Eve, part New Year's Eve, New Year's part one with me and Ricky. Enjoy. Thank you.
And and I think Robert Webb, but either he had a milestone in his life, either he just had a child or he just got married or something. And the way that John Jonathan Ross does in that, you know, okay, that's your situation, what's yours? And and David Mitchell went on to say that you know he's still single and blah blah blah. And they finished off with a gag and where David Mitchell said to him, "Oh, thanks for reminding me how lonely I am." <laughs> now I remember that. And and then to hear not long after that that him and um, Victoria Corrin Mitchell, who I kind of admired for a while because I thought she was smart, intelligent, you know, big poker winning yes. champion. Win she wins like you know. She won of the European. Poker. She won. She won. She's won a couple of European poker tour titles, which yeah. Um, some and, uh, could argue. Um, it's funny because I've been really into poker recently. I've actually been doing quite well. Um, um and um, uh, yeah, there's clips of her winning. And there's an argument, because I was re-watching the kid poker documentary about my favourite poker player, Daniel Negreanu, and there's an argument in the poker world, I know this might be boring to people who uh, people who listen to this, but um, uh, it's regarded that the European poker tour is, could, is, is potentially harder than other poker tours around the world. It's like, it's a really very high quality... Um, you know, two hours in, because like, basically there's like the European poker tour, there's the world poker tour, which is kind of America, and then you got like now you got the Asian Asian Pacific poker tour, which um is the most recent one, and so there's like the three different places, and obviously the best poker players do all of them, but supposedly like the European poker tour in terms of quality is is regarded as the best the best up there, um, based mainly I think due to the fact that. The online poker world, um, when the scandals happened in America, it was known as Black Friday, where basically in a, in poker the poker community, where full tilt got done for a, essentially like a Ponzi scheme, and so they basically, and to cut long story short, America for quite a long time they couldn't actually play poker online, so mm-hmm. Europeans were there was people like moving to Europe and Canada and stuff like that, basically just get the opportunity to play online. And so if you play online and play thousands and thousands of hands, you're automatically going to be a better poker player just for experience. So okay. I think that was a benefit too. So anyway, so that's my point about Victoria Corrin, is it? So yeah, I'd actually... Yeah, I mean, just, I'll just finish what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, go on. Go on from him to say, for him to admit on TV that, 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 that yes, he, he, is, he is quite a lonely person. Yes. I guess what he was also offering insight is, is to how kind of comedy, despite... Because they were like the the a big deal back then, you know, with yeah. like Joe being at its height and everything. Um, that yeah, he does have this like um, this void in his life, and then mm-hmm. from then to go on to say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm with Victoria Corn Mitchell, as I say. You know, I was a big fan of her dad's, for example. I used to listen to him on Radio 4. 4 yeah, I was just about to say, like, I couldn't remember. I was just thinking that as we were talking about it. I, I could could not remember what her dad did. Can you remind me? Alan Corrin, yeah. He's just a... A big radio guy, big um, author, big. Um, he, he was one of those authors who who writes memoirs and like and and then and then reads them out like um, sort of almost in a um, what's that guy like in an he's like an Alan Bennett type figure, yeah, but but, but a bit more modern mm. in the sense that he's an old man and this is his grumblings of life. And my favorite ever. Um, my radio show he did was he got together with another writer and when he became a pensioner which meant he got a free bus pass and i think the show the series was called freedom pass so him him and his his writer friend just went around london free on the bus and just recorded an audio diary 
and then oh. visit loads of places like some some spurious places like London Zoo or just a coffee shop like in another in another borough of London, and they would just do this recorded diary, and it was fantastic, and uh-huh. it, it was just like a sort of you know. This is us in life. We're now regarded as all the pensioners, but we refuse to be. We refuse to be silenced. We're gonna. We're gonna express our feelings daily, like you know, as 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 everyone's entitled to. It was, it was brilliant. Um, yeah, but it's. I mean, um, so yeah, course, he, he was on TV on that um, with uh, Sandy Toxvig that game show. The um, or Sandy the Toxvig. Um, yeah. Oh. Well, they have to guess the meaning of the word. A word comes up, and the pa- one team has to give three exp- exp- three meanings. Oh, um, a pin- uh, is that a date on Dave? Uh, is I that don't the know. Date? I, don't know. I can't remember. I, I don't know. I mean, you're speaking to someone who doesn't have a TV license. Who used to do the blockbuster? Oh, yeah. He presented it. But really? So San- Sandy Toxvik had a team, and Alan had a team, and, and a word would come up, and Alan's team would give three explanations of that word which only one is true and the the team oh, call my bluff that's it call my bluff all oh, right okay um uh, yeah i i i i was gonna say i i was like that's that thing that they quote on qi because it's like what did it wear what did it wear like the the the, the, the guy used to do it um yeah. uh, stephen fry used to do an impression of the guy who did the presented that show all the time and it's like uh we're looking for yeah because they did a round of it where Call my bluff. Where it's basically like it was all they did a a thing about the European Union and like sort of made up things that the European Union did. Like for example, that they had the idea of that they were going to make banana. Like there was this hoax that the Daily Mail did, which loads of people assume was true. That they said they were going to make bananas straight. (laughs) And I can't even remember what the reason was, but it was some really when you read it and you go who the who the fuck would believe that like really um but it was basically that they said like oh they were going to make them make uh straight bananas or something like that Um, what was the myths about the the people the brexiters i mean going back before the referendum there there was this thing about oh the eu decides as whether our the bananas we sell are bendy enough for the consumers or something stupid like that Mm mm-hmm just quickly, do you think Sandy Toxic's doing a good job? I haven't read, I haven't listened, I haven't I watched any of them. I think... Did you, have you seen, have you seen any? I've seen, I've seen two or three, yeah, I think she does okay. Um, um It's funny, I was, I, it, that's kind of weird that we're bringing this up, because I was thinking about this before we started, that like, um, because I've, um, as I say with uh, David Mitchell, obviously he's been on QI quite a bit, um, and one of the things that, um, one of the things that I was thinking about was because um, Alan, uh, uh, the fact that Alan David, Alan David is still doing it, isn't it? Isn't he? Yeah. Um, because basically, um, when Stephen Fry left, he was considering leaving too. Because when you yeah. decide to put down a contract, I think it's one of these things that Stephen Fry and that didn't realize that what they were committing themselves to do. Because essentially, with them doing every letter of the alphabet, they're doing at the very least twenty six series for 20 and uh with the fact that they maybe i think they do two a year maybe so it might not be as long as because uh, if they did one a year it would be essentially 26 years of a television series so but how, how do they go each i mean so they go along the themes of 
each letter of the alphabet, but also themes in general, because I've seen like Halloween specials where they do like series. Yeah, um, well, well, for ex- basically, there's a genuine, there's a genuine, there's a genuine, there's a uh, a gen, sorry, genuine, a gen, it's me, my bloody dyslexia here. Um, my, the general is what I'm trying to say. There's a general theme w- based on whatever letter of series they're up to, so it might be like. I don't know, I'm trying to think of... Because I've got the first few DVDs up to, like, Series D, I think, so... Oh. um, So, I'm trying to think of, like, what they were named. But, like, say they were, like... I don't know, um... I think one episode in Series series B was actually called Bees, because it was all about the sort of um insect kingdom and uh, the mm. gardens and stuff like that. So, oh, I remember there's a Series G where there was actually one called Garden, and it was all about, like garden related questions so it doesn't i think people make the mistake of you think that every question has to start with that letter it's just actually more like the general topic and then they sort of they they'll talk about that particular topic but as you say they'll go off tangents where they'll ask a random question because like in the first series in particular they talk about like astronomy or something like that then they'll go how many how many moons does the earth have because famously um, they said there was two, not one, and it's called Karifni. Um, it's it's classed as a moon because it orbits the it orbits the Earth um, every year, and it's it's uh, it's it's in its it's in our gravitational uh, gravitational range. It's just about I think a third smaller than the moon, so you can't see it, and um, right. so um and then uh then they keep changing their mind because then there was three and then there was five and then so they basically said it depends how you classify the moon because it's either one three or five or something because uh, it's just base. it's a bit like pluto as a pluto was declassified as a planet because it was too small um so how do you decide and then so it's all these obviously like nasa basically sit down and decide what constitutes what? So I think because I, I think I don't know whether you agree with this, but I just think if you can see something in in the sky to the extent of you can see the moon very clearly, I think we should just say there's one moon, as in the. That's why Alan Davis's great joke where he goes, "It's called the moon," yeah. <laughs> as in the one and only. <laughs> Thing is, I, I'm I'm actually starting to watch old shows as well because in the beginning I, I never watched QI. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the reasons, because I wasn't a fan of Alan Davies, because he used to annoy me. I was it's was funny, I... Um, but now, I don't hate him as much anymore. All right, that's interesting, because I had, I had a similar... It's funny, I've all, I didn't necessarily dislike him, but um, the, I never really liked anything he was in. Like, I, I never liked Jonathan Creek. Um, and anything I ever saw him in, I, 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 yeah, he had... I, I don't know what it was, it's just everything I ever saw him in, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um... Although, a series that I want to bring up, I mean, um, I should, let, considering our recording, I should let people know, by the way, we are going to do, potentially, a review of 2016 during this, um, that's one of our ideas, but we'll stick to this topic, because we were talking about David Mitchell before we started recording, um, is a show that I did like that Alan Davies did, just while we're on the subject, did you ever see White, Whites? Whites. It didn't last very long, no, it only no. lasted one season. Um, and it had that ginger-haired lass who's been in a few things, and she's really good. I was watching an episode of What I Lie to You, which uh, David Mitchell obviously is on on that panel. Catherine, Catherine Tate, you mean? No, she's not called Catherine. I think she is called Catherine, but not Catherine Tate. Okay. 
Um, I'll I'll type it in because it's uh, yeah. But it was it was a it was a BBC series and it was based on working in a kitchen and Alan Davies was the head chef. Ah, right. And um, it only lasted one season, but mean I'd watched it like religiously. It was one of the few last when I lived at home. It was one of the few series that I actually like. I literally watched it when it came out, which is very rare for me. I usually watch everything like about at least a couple of days after it's been broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually would watch it like every Monday night or whatever it was on Monday night, Tuesday night, um, mm-hmm. probably Tuesday night because I'm out Mondays. But um, yeah, so um, and uh, I was really disappointed to find that they weren't renewing it for a second season because I thought it was really good. But um, yeah, I think he was really good in that. Um, uh, so that was the first thing I'd seen. Um, I'm just typing it in. It was like, uh, yeah, it was two, it was 2010, so it was a while, it was a while ago. I mean, um, the first the first time I saw him on TV, I think he was a, a guest a couple of times on. They think it's all over. Um, and oh, I thought yeah. he, he was quite witty, but then on QI, the the fact that he was the kind of like the 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 um. I suppose the the regular dunce is why they had them there, didn't he? And he was always finishing bottom. But the way he kind of interrupted things just annoyed the hell out of me. And I generally wanted to learn stuff. But then I think that was just me being a bit of a a so-and-so back then as well. And now I don't mind it. So, uh, Uh, Just to reiterate, the name of that woman was called uh, Catherine Parkinson. She's really good. Oh, her from It Crowd. Yes. Yeah, I was about yeah. I was just about to say she won like a couple of BAFTAs for the it crowd. So was that was she doing that before it crowd it crowd? No, it was after. It was just that. It was just after. Okay. Um. Yeah. And uh, oh, I didn't really. I didn't know that. I've just been. I'm just. I'm just uh, sort of clicked on her Wikipedia page just to check to confirm it was her. And uh, she's in Humans, which I didn't know. But also she. I don't know how she does voiceovers for the Worms games. You know the 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 Worms. Uh, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> the the she does voiceovers for that apparently for the the latest uh, games. That's a very odd, uh, yeah, very odd, uh, an odd thing to do. But um, but yeah, um, yeah. When you said they think it's all over with Alan Davies, um, another thing that I, I, I remember seeing his episode of Room 101 that I was, there was that that I think his episode of Room 101 with uh, Nick Hancock actually yeah. changed my mind about him I actually liked that episode a lot well yeah you make a good point because uh, from what I remember well I can't remember all his choices but there was one big choice which I massively agree with yes but I'll let what's you that? carry on what's that what, no, what, what, oh yeah well that, you know well well, carry on that thought because one of the things I was thinking as I mentioned that was what I'm trying to remember what he put in. Um, was it Piers Morgan or something well, like? I, I can't quite remember. But more, go on if what well, if you remember better than I do. More kudos to him if he d- if if he did. Because, I can't remember to be honest, but uh, I just remember specifically enjoying it. But wasn't that Ian Hislop? No, Ian Hislop tried to put Piers Morgan because they had a they had a famous spat on. Have I got news for you? Well, not only that, yeah, not only that, but um, th- a very long-running gag in um, Private Eye was every time they mentioned Piers Morgan, they put a typo in and called him Piers Moron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. a very famous uh, thing they did. Um, and yeah, um, that famous spat, um, for those that are interested, the clip's on YouTube if you want to watch it. But uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, it's a famous quote, it's a famous clip when 
he basically has a go at him. It's actually that if you remember in a Vargas News here, which I know we're both fans of, it's the series that Paul Merton uh, takes time off on because uh, uh, Piers Morgan is sitting next to Clive Anderson. Uh, because uh, basically Paul Merton thought that uh, Havagonius view was sort of struggling to continue its... It, it, he said it got into a rut and he was a bit burned out from doing it and everything else, so he took that season off. Um, because... Well, Piers Morgan was, was head of Daily Mirror at the time. Yes, and he was known for being a bit of a sleaze and then that whole thing about indoctrinating them pictures for Iraq to... Which got him fired, which I think is a very immoral thing to do, and I I've, I have no time for him. I, I think he's. No, I despise him. I mean, <sighs> there was there was a, a short time where I did admire him when he was in America because he was kind of lecturing Americans on the stupidity of their gun laws. Yeah, we were talking about and that. Was like I was talking American, about it last night. You can keep him, but since he's back here now and sort of full throttle, and I mean that that quote, that thing he said the other day on the TV, he said. I'm the only British guy Donald Trump follows on Twitter, and I'm like, shut up, you so, so, uh, Yeah, my response to that would be so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember one line, just very quickly on that, yeah. on that, on um, Room, Room 101. Room 101, because Ian went to, to went further to say that the, the, the lens that Piers Morgan went to hassle him, like having reporters camp out in his front garden and stuff like that and in his dustbins and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, the, it's fa- the, 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 the episode... Sorry, say that again? Any Miagrov did just to sort of, you know, so he can... Yeah, because he really felt like... He, well, he, he did. If anyone... If you... Uh, if uh, guys listen to this, watch the clip. Um, he gets embarrassed, basically. He gets totally ridiculed because... Because um, he because there's a famous bit. Actually, it's not even Ian. It's Clive Anderson that really destroys him. Because he goes, because they're all like laughing at him, uh, uh, quite yeah. understandably. And he goes, "What do you know about running a newspaper, Clive?" And he goes, "About as much as you do." Yeah. <laughs> and there's another great line where um, Peter Morgan turns to the crowd and says, "Does anyone actually like him?" Like pointing at Ian, thinking. Uh, that I know, and they all like Chia. The, 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 the audience say, "Yeah, we do like." <laughs> yeah, him. we do like him, and, and they go. Yeah. And he says, "What are you on about? He's one of the reasons why this show is as good as it is, and yeah, and he's actually a funny guy." And yeah, you're, the, you're, exactly. You know, if I if I went, I would have um I would have went. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, 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 I like if I went to Vagrant News for you, I'd go because I like the team captains. I think that's kind of one of the biggest. That like if you, that, I would yeah actually I think that's a very relevant point is that any panel show that I ever watch it is all based on whether I like the team captains because exactly, yeah. um, just actually really bizarre just something that's came into my head for I know obviously people who aren't from the UK are not going to get a lot of this but hopefully it's just interesting to listen to is have you heard about 8 out of 10 cats that they're bringing that back but they've got rid of Sean Locke and the other guy um, um is it Rob? Rob someone? Um, is it Rob Deering? Is that his name? What and, they replaced him with? Yeah, and and some new and block. That, uh, that Irish Irish comedian. Uh, yeah, that Irish lass who won the yeah. She's uh, Edinburgh. Yeah, she won the Edinburgh Prize a couple of years the ago. The other guy, I'm not so big keen on. I've was, never liked him. Yeah, I've seen him in a bunch of he things. He was quite funny on Taskmaster. I don't know if you watched Taskmaster. No, but I've seen him in. I've seen him on the odd panel show. I saw him on an episode of um, "Who's um, Would I Lie to You?" and he didn't really speak. But, um, right. but anyway, yeah. So, um, 
but anyway, so, yeah, but but yeah, so I'm trying to think what we were talking about now because we went on multiple tangents. <laughs> well, I think the what I was when um, Alan Davies on Room 101. Yes. Um, the big thing which 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 I'm glad he picked, and I, it's probably the my favorite choice ever on that show. And it's always something I've had a problem with, and I, I suppose it is slightly controversial. It's obviously do with animal rights, but I'm never comfortable seeing a bird in a cage. Yeah. That that was one. That was his choice. Oh um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember him saying that. It's funny. Yeah, it's yeah. funny because um, as I say, at some point during this podcast, because we're recording uh, quite for quite a long time, is that uh, um, that that's that's one of the things uh, with my big news about potentially getting a pet is. If you ever go, have you ever been to a shelter or like a like a dog or cat shelter before? I have a couple of times. Yeah. Um, it is so hard not to want to take a dog because that they they do. I mean, I know it's circumstance and it's just what they can afford. But when you go and see them, like essentially in an, an animal jail cell, <laughs> and you just are going like, well, I want to save them all. Not that you're potentially going to let release them, and you're going to go home with that person. That's why they all come up to the. The cage door and sort of like yeah, they like look at you with you, a degree you, of help me. me. Yeah, for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Help me, pick me. I'm lovely. Although there's like a you, you meet the odd. I mean, the one that I went to not too long, like obviously recently, uh, next to the dog that I picked or like potentially want, obviously, is um there was a dog um who just would not shut the fuck up, who <laughs> 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 just constantly like. <laughs> But in a kind of like aggressive, like like look at me, pick me, pick me. But in a kind of like an annoying fashion, not like a kind of Lee, like. Lee genius. Evans did a funny comparative gag on that. He's yeah, like, yeah. It's like, have you ever been to a a service station on the motorway, <laughs> and 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 you're at the canteen, and there's, there's always there's always a pile of baked beans at the end. <laughs> so sorry for itself, and it's like they're practically going up to the glass. Pick me! Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, Lee Evans is like Lee Evans has the best like observational humour. Yeah, like, I, mean, I, was a big, but, uh, I saw him loads of times in the nineties, uh, like just before he became big. Yeah, does I saw a clip of a really? Um, I think it was a, like I don't know if it was a documentary about him or something, but I just remember seeing a clip. I think it was one of these, you know, like one of them clip things about like the greatest comedians, mm. and that some and there was a clip. There was a clip. Of him being recorded at the comedy store, yeah. as you said, sort of re- before, like he was well known, mm-hmm. and he was, but he was like obviously headlining them shows, mm-hmm. and just the energy, yeah. and he's just absolutely insane. Like, I mean, you see, like the DVDs now, like if you saw the D, I mean, I know he's like retired now, but um, but uh, if you see like the DVDs that he had out because he's obviously done a bunch of them, and you go, wow, God, where's he get the energy from? It's nothing compared to when he first started. Like, I mean, it's just insane. It's just relentless. Did he like, finish on that greatest comedians list? By the way, I have no idea, but but I would I would like to think fairly high. Yeah. Um, I, I do think See, he's I, in the, in his latter in the latter part of his career. He used to do all the stadium tours, and to me, um, I was it's funny. I was asked, I was actually having a Twitter conversation with Alfie Joy on BBC Radio Newcastle about this. It's it's very hard to watch comedy in, a, in, a, in an arena. Totally it, agree. Um, I, think, I think we've talked about this before, but yeah. And even with Lee Evans, it was a very visual, very kind of, as you say, energetic kind of... To see that on a, in a stadium and have it echoing around, it just it just feels a bit... Yeah, because essentially... The acoustics are just wrong for that? Yes. Well, essentially, it's like most things. It's a bit like... 
the joke that I make about it, which I hope you find funny, is that uh, it's a bit like if you decide to meet your friends, I'll meet you. Uh, like, say I decided to meet you and go, right, Ricky, I'm going to meet you and I'm, I want to have like a, a drink and a laugh and a chat with you. But we're going to meet at opposite, opposite ends of the park. <laughs> And we're gonna scream at each other and hope that yep. we hear each other. Why would you possi- why would you agree to do that? Well, yeah, everyone is agreeing to do that in a comedy setting by doing them shows. And then in order to see a person and let in order to see the person that you come in to see, it's not like music, which is all even if you see them, it's all like listenable. I mean I know comedy is listenable. But even but, music gigs to an extent is yeah. them because you know Yeah, exactly. But you you get my point in that like yeah. you can still yep. sort of yeah. hear the live music and appreciate it for what it is. I'm, I'm more of a fan of smaller venues these days. Yes, comedy but that's that's what I'm getting to. My point, the point we're making, and I'm concurring with you is that uh, comedy is different. Like you say, it is slightly different. It's similar but not the same. But comedy is a very personable personal experience, and it's all is about having like a rapport with the comedian, which is why. I w- like, for example, uh, Ross Noble is brilliant at seeing live because he has such a rapport and such a nice attitude to his audience that you want to be involved and you want to feel welcome. And he has a very good way of like including everybody. So you want to have that feeling of belonging. That's one of the reasons I don't necessarily like going to see comedians that heckle and like who put down the crowd and have a very like you know judgmental approach because i don't i'm like why i don't really want to be a part of that like i I, I, like for example even though i don't mind him he this is another guy we talk about people who you don't like when you first see them is that i never was a fan of jimmy carr but then um i started like he started growing on me like and i actually like him on certain panel shows and uh but if you ever see every time i ever see clips of his new dvds he brings out a bunch of them um, it's always about him heckling the audience or he basically encouraging the audience to scream at him. And I, I, I'm just tired of that. Uh, I, I don't like that kind of sarky humour. Yeah, because it's all like just comebacks and I'm like, it's just, and so it gives uh, like annoying people the oppor- opportunity because they, they think, these people, uh, I know it's a very judgmental comment, but I often think that these people are wanting excuses to abuse people, and so they to eat, they could go to them shows with the idea of he's allowing me to basically like you know scream that I think he's a twat, or um, just so I can. I, mean, I know some of it's all done in good humour, but it's just these people are like, you know, I always kind of think that these people who want to do that are the same people that go into to the street and call somebody like an ugly twat or something to a stranger they don't know, like you know that kind of bullying personality. Um, and so I, 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 I don't think he realizes the, the 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 hypocrisy in that, I guess. But um, but yeah, so he's another one who I never like used to like when I used to see him on stuff. But although, do you remember when he did that show? I was thinking about this because it was very early reality, making people do stupid things. Do you ever see Distraction? Yes, with um, with Jimmy Carr hosting it. Where and uh, what's her name? Uh, there was someone Jim else. Sarpong, was it? Oh, really? Yeah, wasn't was she? Julia Sarpong on it. He cost he co-hosted it with her. All oh, right. Is it Julia? June June Sarpong. That's it. June. Yeah. Who? I know we've mentioned. Sorry, it I'm just gonna. How Google, the hell? I'm did googling she... that because I'm thinking that's fascinating. I did not know. I that. like her. 
And then when she wasn't on our TVs for her, I was curious as to where she was. Yeah. And then, and then I think we were talking about. She ends up doing conspiracy theories with Jesse Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, she. I've just, I just. That's just this. I've just read that now on our thing. Yeah. Also, I didn't know she joined uh, Loose Women. I've lost respect for her. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just as soon as I mentioned, like as well, uh, for those that like, especially people listening. Sorry, from, in, June. Yeah, exactly. People listening in America, um, it is essentially the view, uh, yeah. as in a a bunch of women talk, uh, a bunch of women uh, sit down and and talk about like the news and try to put the world the rights in their own. Yeah, yeah and it's just world. it's just god awful. Um, yeah, it it's so and it's so like made up. Like it's it's so well, it's, well like made up in terms of it's like fake fake anger um you know it's a bit like um i know we've we've watched the show it's like stephen wright um on channel five and that you know he would just basically rant about things and scream at his guests every now and again and and get into you like mean, a rant matthew wright. Uh, matthew wright sorry not yeah. stephen wright yeah stephen wright's the comedian and you yeah, I, I had a feeling i was saying that wrong yeah thank you yeah matthew wright sorry um yeah and he would just basically like rant to the because um i remember once he was it David David Ike or something he had on or had on and he basically just spent the entire time screaming how much of an idiot he was. Um, yeah, was it? I don't think it was David Ike, but it was somebody like that. It was David something. I just remember the. I just remember seeing a clip. It was in like the con- controversial moments on TV, and he just he, they just start screaming at each other, and it's just it's 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 just annoying. But yeah, it doesn't say that she did on our Wikipedia that she did distraction, but I'll type it in and see if she does. But yeah, that's that's a good shout, Lord. I didn't even remember them doing it, ha- having a cohort. Well, oh no, 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 no! Hang on, I do apologise. I, I I think I might be wrong on this. I'm getting mixed it with another show that that they did. They both did co-host. Was it something to do with attraction where they have to? Ah, that rings a bell. The person next to whoever they've got to mark who's more attractive, and then they have to. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah. I remember seeing that. Your face on mine. Something there you like go. That, yeah. God, that was ages ago. I'm, well, what good show? Uh, but apparently, the Comedy Central are on, are on you in it. Didn't didn't Jimmy Carr took distraction to the states though? Didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I I, I saw quite a lot of that show because uh, it, it was it was like um, because it must have been God about twenty years ago now. But um, I it was on like late at night on Channel Four about like eleven o'clock or something, and I I used to I used to watch a lot of like late night TV at the time. And uh, yeah, I used to watch like I used to watch it like late at night. But uh, but yeah, um, yeah, it was your face or mine, which was a few years ago. And apparently, they're renew uh, Comedy Central. They're yeah, renewing. I, 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 I'm beginning to think as well because th- them two were the, the the faces of late night Channel Four TV at one stage. I th- I'm I'm beginning to think that that wasn't the only show that they did together as well. I think they might have done one or two others because uh, them two together they were like a like a partnership for a while. I yeah. think. Yeah, I'm sure they did. Well, maybe. if you think about it, I mean, obviously they've got a they've got a a, a similarity and or a, 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 a common thread in that they were they they got Jimmy Cole Channel Four narrate, narrate all those dreadful Channel Four top countdowns of, of loads of stuff they used to do at the time. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Channel, Channel Four, the king of putting like clip shows together. <laughs> but yeah. Look, yeah, best sci-fi films, best blah blah blah, and just endless. He was always. That's actually um, a nice segue into 
sort of talking about because obviously I know we've been avoiding t- typical us have been avoiding the actual uh, overriding <laughs> topic, but um, that's a nice segue to you know when they do clip shows of like oh what happened during the year or the most controversial moments of any particular year is obviously we can talk about 2016 at some point but um just to segue this back to what got us in all this conversation is just what i would say because i want to make sure i get this in oh well a couple of things um one of the things i remember i was going to say because uh, when we got on the tangent about piaz morgan i have to say um because when you said about the whole gun control it's really freaky you brought that up because i had a um a debate with my well not a debate because it was we both agreed about the same thing but uh i was talking about you know his very strict like sort of strident view on gun control and uh but i i i i keep wanting to say um he took over a legend in larry king and yeah. i just thought like he would never you know he, he can't hold the candle to larry king even though he was saying he was the best interviewer in the world and he was always destined to fail yeah oh i i firmly believe he was and i actually um think uh, well supposedly he got fired over the fact that he kept bringing up gun control and he wouldn't let it go um there's a there's a clip of him i don't know if you ever saw it alex jones in four oh yeah there's that but there's that famous one where alex jones just like if you take our guns uh 1776 will rise again and just start screaming at him i actually think Far be it for me to defend P.S. Morgan, but if you ever, if anyone ever sees that clip, and I'm sure Americans have well, seen it in particular. Well, do you know what? You make a good point, because Piers, for, for all his annoyance, actually played that quite well. Yes, I was just about, about, what I was just he about to say. Was, he allowed Alex to rant and rave for yeah. the of the bit. And then Piers cleverly, um, with about with about two minutes to go, he said, and can you quickly tell us about 9-11? And then Alex sort of went into sort of, you know, conspiracy. Another rant, yeah. And then and Pierce just finished off. There you go. There's the guy who believes that you know we should have our guns, and he also believes that 9/11 was was it was also yeah, an inside job. And stuff, yeah, yeah I, I can't I can't begin to to go into my fury about like particular you know <laughs> theories about um, bloody 9/11. Well, that, that's I, a whole different show. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. I'm so like I've I've I'm so like fascinated by that whole the whole situation, and obviously. You know, it was a massive, massive tragedy. But have you ever just, just, yeah. have you ever thought about in like getting uh, like a truther on on to talk to? That I don't know. Of... I mean, it, that's always a controversial av- avenue to go down. Um, I remember um, there was a very famous clip because obviously, you know, being that this is a podcast, is the uh, the the go to example of a clip that I, that I've seen that is another like very well known clip on YouTube is that. Um, Joe Rogan, who does mainly like an MMA, well, well, not mainly an MMA, but he obviously is known for mixed martial arts being a commentator. Is he talks about he talks about fighting and stuff, but he has a different guest on every few days, and he has a guest on of a guy who's like mainly like a science reporter. He does like a lot of sciencey uh, stuff, like the, I think the Science Channel and stuff. I, 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 to be honest, I don't know, I didn't know who he was. But I saw this clip and it was about 9-11 because he basically has a go Joe Rogan for being very, saying he was very pseudoscience because speaking of like uh, lists of things, uh, Joe Rogan was on this particular report as list of like the top 10 celebrities who uh, promote pseudoscience as in they don't know what, basically for those who don't know what pseudoscience is, is like basically talking about science not having a clue what they're talking about. 
um, and being wrong and and basically spouting wrong facts about certain things. Mm-hmm. So he um, uh, he so Joe Rogan was aware of this, so he brought it up and said, "Maybe I think we should talk about this because I feel like you've you know misquoted me or you've you've like you know misrepresented my views." And he got on to the argument about 9-11 because he basically said you, they used that as an example of where he thinks Joe was spouting bad information. Because he goes, for example, he's like, I listened to one of your podcasts. This wasn't just the only thing. They went for a few examples, but considering we're talking about 9-11, was they go, like he said, for example, you, I know because uh, Eddie Bravo, who's on Joe Rogan's podcast quite a bit, is very into conspiracy theories. And they they were they were famously one in ep, one episode. They keep talking about because Eddie Bravo thinks like the building seven. The uh, everyone's yeah. the, 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 it's very difficult to convince people that a building can collapse because of a fire. Um, so they basically um, so he thinks that there, there was a demolition based on. Uh, did you did you did you ever hear the audio clip of that building? So basically, there was an audio clip that got found, and it was the guy who owned the building, because Building Seven was on fire the entire time during September the 11th, is then it basically collapsed later that day. Is you hear a person, you, you, the fire uh, department are all in there trying to sort of essentially try to save the building, and they realise that they can't because there's too much damage, and then you hear the person who owns the building go pull, pull it. Yeah, he saves yeah, that yeah. particular yeah. sentence. And yeah. that particular sentence has led to this shitstorm of people going, oh, there you go, that's all the proof you need. The conspiracy theories just lap it up going, um, it must mean that he meant pull it as in blow the building up because it was a demolition. Because all these people who have no idea about physics, have no idea how buildings fall, um, and I would rather believe someone who is an expert in it, and you know, and and the why 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 isn't the see I, I I agree, but I also have some reservations about what we've been told about what happened on that day. I'm not a conspiracy theorist on the whole, the whole thing necessarily. Obviously, this includes the whole thing about the Pentagon, but and I know we don't want to talk about this, but but why doesn't the fire department just come out and say yes, and and this is why we did pull it and. Is it not well, it was sort of it was sort of explained. Um, I yeah. think the mistake people make, and I, I know exactly, I, I know exactly what you mean in terms of, but I think the mistake people make is they go, oh, um, they may have lied about this thing, which means they must have lied about everything. That's the kind of thing that I think people make the leap the leap of of going because governments lie. You know, I know we've talked about this before, but it's like the go to thing that I always say like. The Lusitania got America involved in in World War One, and there's a transcript of Churchill oh, basically oh. saying, "Oh, if if a neutral ship got blown up, uh, I wouldn't necessarily be against that," and because there was um, it was proved by the great Robert Ballard, who found the wreck of the Lusitania, that it did have um, ammunition uh, in it, in it. Um, so even though they weren't meant to shoot neutral ships, uh, you know, uh, some uh, German submarines. Uh, they actually kind of were right. This is such a great segue. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, quickly, I'll quickly finish on 9-11. I'll yeah, yeah, so go on. Because there's something I want to watch again. A few years ago, um, do you know the Irish stand-up comedian Andrew Maxwell? Yes. He he, he took a, a bunch of conspiracy theorists 
um, from here, um, the UK, and flew through them off to America, like New York and yep. um, Pennsylvania, to basically to, to, to quash what they thought. Yeah. And they met a lot of experts. And I think he managed <laughs> to convince most of them, although there was one or two still had questions at the end. And I think that's worth watching. Yeah. I haven't that seen that, actually, and I, I like him. Um, yeah. I saw him but on just, our... going on, just going on the ships, I know how much me and you we've discussed the Titanic. <coughs> yeah, sorry, go on. But do you not? Did you see the recent? Um, was it on? Yeah, it was on Channel Four. I think about the Titanic, a new theory. Did no, you but it? go on. I'm obviously going to be fascinated by this. So do 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 tell. Right. Well, from what I remember, and I might get it wrong, and some of your listeners might might fill you in on this, but. Um, so what happened was they discovered some new photographs, right? Mm-hmm. And on the um, the left, the, the side of the ship which got hit by the iceberg, while the ship was at its dock, they noticed like a shadow um, on 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 that side of the ship, yeah, just above where it got hit, uh-huh. uh, underneath uh, uh, under the hull, and this shadow appeared on one on more than one picture because to see it on one picture you might just think it's just a, like a, a blotch or like a double protection or something yes. yeah like a uh, yeah. yeah so this 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 mark was consistent in in all these new photographs and was also consistent on the existing photographs whilst it was at its docks you know before uh-huh. it left and they then rediscovered the sort of testimonies over in new york and some people who worked underneath um, shoveling the coal had reported of a fire, um, but this fire had actually started well, way before um, <coughs> yeah. the journey actually started almost. So mm-hmm. as soon as they left Southampton, um, the fire was always, always raging. So what this theory is saying is is that the fire had softened and damaged the piece of the hull, which eventually got hit by the iceberg, you see my meaning. Ah, right. So what they're okay. saying is, had the fire not occurred, that the ship would have potentially survived the impact of the iceberg. Yeah. Or, it, or at least, if it had been damaged, would have would have stayed afloat long enough for the rescue ships like the Carpathia um, to come yeah. and, and and rescue everyone. It was just fascinating. Um, yeah, go on, go on Channel 4 and rewatch it. Cause, cause I, I'm glad like uh, that that wasn't the way I was expecting you to end that. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, so I didn't even get hit by an iceberg. It was a fire. <laughs> like, I was like, I was going to go, oh, God, really? Um, but no, no that, that might be true. Um, no, no, it wasn't a conspiracy theory kind of thing. It was just to suggest that the piece of hull which got hit was deliberately damaged and softened by the fire, which made it more vulnerable to an impact. That and it might just be, happened. That, that sounds, to me, and I'm trying to be objective, is that sounds, that might be perfectly plausible. I don't, I don't, uh, I obviously don't know enough about ship design or anything like that. But what I do know, um, it's funny because I, I, I mentioned this before to Ricky before we started, I've been re-watching a lot of Star Trek Voyager, and they they come up with an idea, and it's um, it's basically like, to reinforce the hull for the starship that they're on, and uh, when um, when um, Lieutenant Paris is talking about his idea for reinstructuring hull integrity, he yeah. references the Titanic and basically explains how the oh, Titanic. Really? Yeah, well, it's it's clearly the writers giving an homage to how brilliant of an idea it was, because the oh. idea about having different compartments that can basically, you know, handle an impact and basically contain a leak is mm. was quite an ingenious idea 
Um, and he just basically said that they they, they were basically given an homage by going, because basically Voyager, the series is set in like the 24th century or something. So the idea is is that they basically said, oh, we use this as inspiration to come up right. with a better a better design. Um, yeah. So it's just an interesting... So yeah, anyway, can I, so... Can so, I just quickly say this yeah. is another brilliant segue because we recently chatted to um, Claudia Christian who was on yeah. uh, Space Cadets, this sort of long-lost sci- sci-fi yeah. comedy panel show from the 90s. Another Channel 4 reference, yeah. But... Um, Ed Byrne, um, was, who was also on, the, on that same show, on the same yeah. team with um, with uh, Claudia on um, Craig Charles's team. Yep. Um, he 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 mentioned uh, Sequest DSV. <laughs> ah, yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, <laughs> which was sort of based on that. I based on the, that because do you know because um, Roy you, Scheider from Jaws yes. was in it, and they had like a talking dolphin. <laughs> <in the> past- <laughs> it was shit. But uh, it was shit, but I remember it, and I'm sure everyone else does. And it, they also did a feature where they, I think they visited the, the wreck of the Titanic. Yes, I was just about to say, right. and also, not not well, not just that, but um, it has a, 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 in a weird way, it has a, a another um, sort of similarity with Babylon 5, which uh, obviously Claudia Christine was in, because um, it was one, of, I, th- I think I'm right in saying it was one of the first shows they use like the um, the CGI uh, company that became famous with Babylon Five, is that Sequest had CGI in it, and it was one of the first ones that used it like all the time. Because ba- and it was like Babylon Five, because obviously, um, speaking of Voyage, uh, and again, that's a, that's actually like a, a segue to Voyage Star Trek Voyager, because Star Trek Voyager started <coughs> using the people who made Babylon Five, uh, all the CGI on that. Because um, I'm up to series six, and I'm in my rewatching of the the show, and um, you can tell the discernible difference in CGI because we're getting towards like 1998-ish time when CGI sort of went from not really being that well used in TV to you know being used quite regularly, and you can just see the difference in quality from models to completely done cgi uh battles and stuff like that it's really good and if you uh, really want to again just another weird yeah, segue if you really want to see weird weird um cgi watch that <laughs> watch that, that b movie uh, titanic b movie that raised the titanic yeah there's this very up, funny yeah. clip of when when they actually raise it and it gets to the surface they actually do a pretty good job when it goes to the surface but <laughs> you can just totally tell during it, they try to do close-ups using like a six-inch model, <laughs> a rusty six-inch model as it reaches the surface. And I love stuff like that. I love yeah. stuff that looks. But well, it makes you more dear to them. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know whether or not we brought this up before when we've talked about this before. But like, I mean, it, it, it raises an interesting question, and I don't mean the, to make a pun there, but is do you do you kind of think like it's a little, you know, a mor- morally questionable? to do a film because i remember like that film raising the titanic didn't that come out like not long after it happened or like because but my point is like they did a isn't it a little bit morally questionable to do a film about something and like, you know what i mean like a little like to make money off something that was tra- like a tragedy 
And I don't, I don't mean like, you know, because obviously I'm not trying to say like the James Cameron film and stuff, like they shouldn't have made it or whatever. Because obviously, you know, it's just, it's an historical, historical event. But I seem to remember that they got a lot of control. I remember mm. reading the Wikipedia uh, of that film and that I think it did get criticised at the time for like they were sort of making, making... Uh, well, you, doesn't Paolo express various, various amounts of regret about sort of not, after he found the wreck of not kind of putting tighter control on because he has essentially said hasn't he that it's 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 a graveyard and it should be respected as yeah such. yeah and he's very he's yeah he's very much the kind of like well, yeah well it makes i think his his argument is very valid in that you know it's a bit like you wouldn't go to like a like it's a it's it, his his point is it's like if you went to visit someone in a graveyard and went to a tombstone of someone famous and going, oh yeah, I'm just come to pay my respects, but in the meantime, I'm gonna steal uh, all the flowers and everything, like yeah. uh, and all the stuff around it. You wouldn't do that yet. Um, people seem to think because it's underwater, and it's um, he basically makes the very valid argument. I'm paraphrasing, but it's like he says because it's underwater, it's a smoke screen for what you can get away with. So the fact that not everyone can go underwater means that you can get away with things because no, like if it's it's a classic thing of if nobody knows it's there and nobody knows you're doing it, it's mm. it's how, how do you regulate it because the water so. The ocean is so vast that how do you know? See, I, I completely agree with you and obviously what Robert says, but what about this point? And this is what's made me think about it again recently yeah. is the Titanic is essentially now disappearing. It's sort of like yeah. dissolving. So is there, a, is there an argument to try and go down and and salvage as much as you can before it completely disappears and then... Um, well, actually... It sounds a very hypocritical stance about Robert Ballard, but I've seen it. There's a presentation of him at um, at Long uh, Long. Is it called Long Sail? But it's basically Long Island University where he lectures, yeah. and uh, he makes an argument of, to your point, he because he thinks it's a graveyard. He it thinks it's it's a very weird stance because I would you would have thought like let, if to to exp, to let me explain his view. He thinks. You would think if he was against grave robbers, my assumption would be that he would think leave well alone, and as in just let let it be what it wants to be. So I was very surprised when I watched this presentation on YouTube of him explaining that he thinks it should be preserved. So he thinks it if he thinks of it like a tombstone in a graveyard, basically that like it, you know if a tombstone started to decay over time, he's like. It should be, you know, you should repaint it or put a new tombstone in. So he came up with this idea of, and he thinks it's possible, because you say about bacteria and it degrading because it's basically getting eaten, slowly eaten away, and also the the current, the natural current of the ocean, yeah. is that um, he wants to go down with robotic robotic technology and paint it with an iron, like, and paint the Titanic with a with a like a a bacteria. Uh, like an, like an enam- enamel thing. Yes, basically to preserve the iron inside the Titanic so it maintains what? its whole integrity. It would cost a small fortune to... But it, it would cost... Well, I say his argument in this presentation was he said it would cost... You know, obviously everything costs money, but his argument is anything that's worth doing is going to cost money anyway. But he says in relation to what they're ask, what you're asking, it, what Spain asked to do... Mm. Um, it's a fairly inexpensive procedure, and he was basically explaining in this presentation how it would work. 
So basically, yeah, he's gonna you would coat it with this like sort of iron protective layer, um, uh, and basically it would then preserve it for all eternity. And I think it would just require like a touch up, a touch well, up every that, now and if again. If that has guaran- guaranteed working, I, I prefer that option than you know bringing it up to the surface and yeah. you know, which obviously so, is going to be. So yeah, it's more, so it's more of a money making thing to do that than eth- anything ethical, which they're trying. Yeah, I'm just wondering because um, I'm just about to check because you got me interest in, intrigued now. Because I remember last time I read about the Titanic wreck, they had a projection of how long it potentially was going to last, oh. uh, and I think they said it was like 2020. They think it would it it had until it was going to going to. Survive, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. So, but uh, so it hasn't got. But to, to your point, it hasn't got long. It, they, they were basically saying with the the natural decay every time they go and see it, is that they they think it's gonna eventually like lose its whole integrity in, in terms of the because famously, obviously, it it thingied into two parts, and one of them with the the one particular section was like completely destroyed, but the one that's intact, the 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 bow, isn't it? I think it's called like the front bit, um, is um, you know, slowly, slowly uh, losing its whole integrity, and they don't think it's going to last that's long. The, that's one of the startling things about the Razor Titanic movie because they they assumed that the wreck was still intact. So when they raised it, it was still all in one. But then when Ballard found it, they realized it was split into two. In fact, many eyewitnesses did say it split into two before it eventually sank. Yeah, but they kind of put them down. See, that was also a conspiracy theory in itself because uh, is it Holland and Wolf, the the, the makers, yes. or White Star Line as well? I think yeah. they they didn't want it to be described that way that it was something that could easily snap in such circumstances. Yeah, and also you got to remember at the time that that happened, um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of like confusion because a lot of the people who survived, the one who got the people who got picked up from the Carpathia, ended up reaching New York. So, with the fact that it take, took so long at the time to get information back, because I think I remember saying in the New York Times or whatever it was at the time, is they actually reported in the newspaper that like it got sunk by, uh, it got sunk by an enemy or something, or um, crashed like like crashed into another ship or something. There was some sort of there was some sort of misinformation and all that. So a lot of because a lot of they didn't exact. Because obviously it wouldn't be like now. You would probably be find out fairly quickly that some accident of that nature happened now in our time that we're in now. There would be people waiting in like the the harbor or whatever, like report, yeah. endless reporters wanting to get a story about what happened and talking to someone who survived or whatever it was. Uh, whereas at the time uh, they basically were just like helping the survivors, and it yeah. took a while before they figured out what had actually happened. And the, and as to your point, the, when they when they did a, a an investigation of what happened, it was the Americans who were very stringent about it. Because to your point, um, the White Star Line were very want, want were very much wanting to make sure that they didn't get the information out there. Because if they'd found out that it was their fault that they'd done something wrong, it's like whenever I talk about when I, I'm fascinated to watch like plane uh, like aircraft. aircraft investigation about plane plane crashes and what i find very upsetting and immoral uh, especially with the people i imagine for the families of the victims involved is the plane companies are very much their first protocol is to make sure that they don't have to pay compensation 
So they, they, they go out of their way to basically like manipulate the results to go, oh, we're not responsible, so we don't have to do anything. Like it's, it's very disconcerting and it, get you, you know, if you think about it, it's very depressing to think of, you know, essentially human beings wanting to shaft people over money. Um, I, I get very disconcerted by that. It's just, it's very frustrating and that's very often the case, but, but yeah, it's endlessly fascinating. When on that Channel Four documentary, which I highly recommend yet again, yeah, um, I will watch that. That sounds fascinating. The, the because you know the 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 company which ran um, um, the Lusitania, I forget the name of the company. Can you remember which one it was? Oh, um, the the, uh, the uh, Lusitania. Well, the the two major ones were the the Cunard, the Cunard, Cunard, that's Cunard, it, Cunard yeah. yeah. It was basically a battle between Cunard and uh, White Star Line. And, yeah, and the, the 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 Atlantic. There's a, there's a name for that sort of. Uh, uh, I, was, I was just you know as we were being talking about this, I was trying to trying to think of it. It was called like the the luxury the cruise line. like the luxury cruise line wars or something. I can't remember, but yeah. Um, so no, no, none, none of each company wanted to show any weakness whatsoever. Just to, you know, get you know they didn't want any bad press basically. And even that, even at the end of that documentary when. They revisited the uh, the testimonies. They even found out the White Star Line tried to brush the, the stories about the fire. Um, they were quickly uh, went as, as far as they could to brush under the carpet, basically, and, and, and brush it. It wasn't so. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's, it's fa- endlessly fascinating. Oh, well, that's interesting. I will definitely look into that. Mm-hmm. But um, but anyway, considering like uh, we should like let's get with it, as per usual, welcome to a show where we. <laughs> We say that we're going to do stuff, and then we just go on complete tangents. Because I, it's just—I mean, I haven't seen Ricky in a while, so it's nice to catch up. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, because I thought it would be fun considering <coughs> this is the first like hosted episode we've done in 2017. Is that um, what we were thinking of doing? Um, just to check how long we've been talking for. Um, uh, okay, so um, yeah, I thought we'd do like a, a quick, ro- I mean, a quick segue into talk a little bit about. Like sort of 2016, and then we'll talk about um, more random stuff in part two, as well as um, um, to, uh, like our sort of future stuff for 2017. And I've got to uh, sort of talk about uh, more recent stuff. But um, so just to basically get the ball rolling, so we can focus on that is um, what in relation to 2016, like uh, what in particular did you find? Uh, was there any particular things that you found? Uh, interesting, relevant, like important from your perspective. Well, I remember towards the end of the year, right? I I was watching a documentary. Do you remember the Sky? Is it Sky Arts that do? Um, they brought out these new documentary series based on the decades, a bit like what Dominic Sandbrook has done over here in his series. Basically, you know, like the sixties, seventies, oh, yeah. and everything that everything that happened, and the short was nineteen sixty eight. I was I was up I was up at like two AM in the morning watching this one about nineteen sixty eight because I think that was the, the biggest tumultuous sort of political year in this in America, particularly um when you t- when you think about was it the Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy were both assassinated in that year, is that right? And um um you had the civil rights thing and uh my, um, yeah, Martin Luther yeah, they were uh sixty nineteen sixty three. Uh, sixty eight, I think. Sixty three was JFK is old. Is old. Oh, sorry, yeah, um, yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. And I tweeted whilst I was watching it that 2016 kind of almost felt like our generation's 68 in a way. I know. Yeah. Slightly different in circumstance, of course, but it's how I generally felt because, you know, with with Brexit and Trump and, uh, you know, our our own member of parliament was assassinated in in the streets and. Yeah. Back in back in June, July, when it was. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, because one of the things that got me interested, and I was explaining this to Ricky about my um sort of my idea about um uh doing this was the, I mean, obviously because we were going to sort of talk about look back relatively to that was um just I, I saw like an article in the New York Times which basically had a rundown of all the most important sort of their opinion of the most important events uh, of that year. And so it obviously talked about, like, you know, because, I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't think it maybe makes much sense, because I know we talked about this before, and I guess it's probably been, you know, beaten, uh, in terms of the topics being talked about endlessly, um, about, like, the amount of people, famous people that died in 2016. Like, so, I mean, obviously, like, Bowie and Carrie Fisher and um, uh, Prince. Yeah, about Carrie Fisher, because... One one time I met you last year, was it like in November or something, and you just bought Carrie Fisher's book? Yeah, because um, I have put, um, uh, which that was one of the reasons why it was, I was, I, I, it, well, I would have been anyway, because I'm such a huge fan, fan of hers. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would go as far as to say, uh, I'm actually a bigger fan of her writing than I am of her in Star Wars, like, mm-hmm. I, 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 I mean... I'm always one of these things of even though I I think it's ridiculous to be forced into into choosing, um. But if someone said to me, "Would you sit down and watch Star Trek or Star Wars?" I'm a say Star Trek all day long, but it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate Star Wars and like it for what it is. But my point is, in terms of her writing, I think she's a phenomenal writer. I hate this idea of you know when someone dies and people start saying she was a phenomenal writer. that, That makes no sense to me. To me, you should still say she is a phenomenal writer because her book still exists. If you, I, I was, I just, I suddenly wanted to correct myself there, and I'm going, why? <laughs> she still is a phenomenal writer, regardless of the fact that she doesn't exist as irrelevant anymore. But, uh, but anyway, so, um, yeah. So, to what Ricky's explaining, and I think we mentioned this before, is uh, when I when I saw Ricky towards the end of last year, um, I went into Waterstones and bought. Rebought, um, uh, wishful drinking, which is my one of my favorite books because because since I moved into my new place a couple of years ago, I've still got a bunch of random boxes that I, I that well, um, I went through all the boxes and couldn't find, couldn't find my copy, so I rebought it because I was like, yeah, I'm rebuy it, and obviously, I considering I like it, it's not a problem, so I rebought it at Waterstones and, um. You were literally reading it when yeah, I was when... literally reading it. When... Yeah, exactly because I I I absolutely adore it, and um, I do own postcards from the edge, which are which uh, famously became a uh, a film with Meryl Streep, yeah, um, and is a fantastic screenplay, and uh, it's and she she's really she's really frank and honest and, and people will, people always I mean I, I'm I'm going to get that book, and I'm I'm more curious about her right now since. Uh... Since her passing, but yeah, people were retweeting um, verses and quotes from from that book. I remember once, um, just for fun, is um, I was sitting reading it when I bought it. I actually like 
took a picture of I, I took a picture like I was like read like reading it before I went to bed so I took a picture of me holding it and I got like quite I got like about 12 retweets or something like that like of, of just a picture of me holding the book which kind of tells you all you need to know about um uh, and I, that's not the reason I did it I just was like oh I'm some little bit late night reading before bed and it was just a picture of me holding wishful drinking um and it was because I'm like and it she's just phenomenal um and it's we and uh it in it, it in a weird way and i don't mean this i don't really know how i exactly mean this but i know she was promoting um the princess diaries which is our latest book where supposedly she talks about having an affair with harrison ford um she was actually in uh, how she the reason she was in london was to promote that book um and then she was flying back to la to go home when it all happened and uh, what's even more freaky about that situation? Uh, I know you as I said, you know, you wanted you were asking me about wanting to talk about it, Carrie Fisher. But like, what I find the even more sad about that story is the fact that a, a mom died of grief. Yeah. Basically, yeah. like two days later, because can die of a broken heart. You you literally can. Like this yeah. is the thing where people go, "That's bullshit." There's a very famous. There's a very famous story. I've heard so many stories of that happening. So yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I was just, that's just what I was about to say. And actually, this is a segue to what we we're talking about earlier. There's an episode of QI where they talk about a famous story about. Did you ever hear the story about? Um, I, I think it was the first Siamese twins, and they da- uh, the the Siamese twins obviously conjoin conjoin twins, and they were. Um, like there were two brothers, and one of the twins woke up to find their other twin had died, uh, yeah. and so he obviously the fact that they were attached to each other meant he woke up and he turned to his like right or left or whatever and um, noticed his brother had died and the sheer grief and they from a biological point were wondering because he was like. Even though he was had separate organs for the most part, the fact that he was literally and but it was like did you share did you share a blood supply? No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, well, I guess they do to a certain extent, but um, I'm not sure. I I'm I'm pleading ignorance here as I don't know enough about it. But 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 that's that's a very interesting you know intelligent question. I don't know, but but. The argument I'm making, and, and I don't mean, well, not an argument, or the point I'm making is that I don't mean to sound poetic when I say this either, but basically, when they did an autopsy, they obviously, the the brother who had died during the night had died of some sort of, fate, like, I think heart failure or something like that, but when the doctor did an autopsy of his brother, they found nothing wrong, and it was what? just, basically, they were like, he essentially died of a broken heart, in the... Mm-hmm. He, the sheer grief of finding the person he was attached to, mm-hmm. he couldn't handle it. And I imagine in that circumstance of being attached to a dead body is kind of like, how can you really prolong that? I mean, it's because it's not like you can surgically remove your dead brother. I mean, it's such a horrible thing to think of, but but I, and I didn't mean to sound poetic the, when the I said that. But, it, but well, I said that's just a good example, basically. Yeah, the saddest one I recall. It yeah. wasn't that long ago, actually, maybe a year or two ago. But um, this old couple were found dead together, lying on the floor with a blanket over them. Mm-hmm. Now, 
when they were found, it was like, okay, well, that, that's that's quite strange. Wonder what happened there. Yeah. So when it, when they sort of did the research and autopsies and stuff, what they'd found out was was that the guy, the the old guy, had died first, obviously of natural causes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what she must have found found him, and she was overcome by grief. So what she did was. She she laid down next to him, and pulled pulled a blanket over themselves yeah. uh, her, her and her her partner, and she then died of a broken heart in a very short space of time, so she could sort of be with him, and that's how they. And I was oh. like, yeah, that's I mean, kind um, of, but very sad as well in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's like proof that it does. I was well I, when I was watching uh, Kate Poker's documentary about uh, which is. Uh, Daniel Negrano poker documentary, and um, that's obviously uh, paraphrasing to Victoria Corrin, which is what we originally talked about. But um, the, there was a clip that I, I was getting really emotional about this last night because uh, I was watching it. It was really, it's a brilliant documentary. Um, I even think people who aren't poker players would like it. But um, he was talking about his mother, who basically was a real source of inspiration to him because he was. He, he, you might might he understand this when I say his name, Daniel Legrano, is that. He's Romanian, and he basically they moved to Toronto to get a better life. They actually tried to get to America as parents, and they couldn't get in, uh, so they ended up going to Toronto. Um, and so he talks about in the documentary about how loving his parents were and how much that they gave him like every opportunity, and they were very supportive. And at first, when he decided to be a full time poker player, his mom resented it, and because he left high school and stuff like that. But I didn't know this at all, and I've been a fan of his for years. Is when I first saw that documentary, basically talked about because she was always involved in poker tournaments and would watch him in poker matches and would make lunch for him, and they were very close. And she was always around. Um, and uh, I didn't know this until I saw the documentary because he was very, uh, he was very private about it. Quite understandably, is his mom. Uh, had a operation. Basically, she had a routine operation, and they found that she had blood clots in her heart, and uh, they needed to get rid of them because if one of them burst, it, she would have a stroke. Like, and so they really they needed to have a very dangerous procedure to remove the blood clots. But it's either that or she was in trouble. Um, so they said there's a risk of it happening, and unfortunately. I didn't know this at all, obviously because I said he was quiet and no, no one did. But during the operation, she had a massive stroke while they were trying to repair it. Um, and she became a quadriplegic, as in she was paralyzed on her left-hand side. Um, and so he spent the entire time uh, sort of looking after her. And the reason I'm sort of bringing this up is not necessarily a broken heart, but just it's when you said like sort of the thing of like, I guess to look at it in a more positive outlook, because I know this sounds like very griefy and depressing, but like I look at it as to show the power and strength human beings have is that is he was said he like him and his brother just spent a lot of time looking after her and she was bedridden for a long time and she actually lost her ability to speak. So and she was bed and she obviously being bedridden she couldn't move so they were looking after her a lot and making sure she got help while he was because he wasn't there so his brother was looking after her all the time and his brother had an annual football tournament so he said like he didn't want to let his friends down so he basically arranged to like have a carer come to check on her and make sure she's okay and he went to this football tournament 
while he was traveling and Daniel was traveling on a plane from uh, Vegas to Toronto to come and see her. So he like he got there late late that night and then he basically slept in the hotel and he was going to see her the next morning. Yeah. During the night she died. Mm-hmm. And basically they think uh, in this documentary while they were like sort of teary went once his brother left her side for the first time since her accident she basically just decided like went oh like i don't need to hang on anymore like you know i i can't i i don't have to pretend how hard this is anymore and basically just in a sort of sad but understandable ways i guess she just sort of stopped fighting because it was just like i don't need to i don't want to like upset them i don't want to it was it was it was it was hard to watch but i understand like in a weird way it was like maybe it was just their way of dealing with it i don't know and i don't mean that in a horrible way but it was just i don't know it's i guess i'm just sort of bringing this up as i said like to show that the the huge the power of the power that human beings are this is one of the reasons why like i know there's men sort of slight segue but this is one of the reasons i get very pissed off with people's attitudes towards mental health in that um this idea of um the 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 um the the sort of idea of like um the 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 approach of that everything's sort of easy and or like not have like you know this idea of that you must be weak-willed or anything like that whereas you know I would like to think that there can be an argument to be made of. It's this idea of how do you, how do you constitute how much pain you're in? Like, how do you say, right, Ricky, I'm in more pain than you are? Like, that's an objective viewpoint. And how do you, there's no like sort of scale for what pain you're going through. That it could easily be that I'm having, I'm in more pain than you are, or you're in more pain than I am, or um, you have less tolerance to pain than I do. It's like, how do you, how do you gauge it? And I, you know, but but I would I would make the argument of if you have mental health issues, as in something that you permanently have that you have to deal with every day, does that not make you a more strong-willed person that you're fighting it every day? And like, because essentially you're waking up knowing that you're gonna have a problem the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the... I'll take this opportunity, if you don't mind, to yeah. pay tribute to my own mum. All right, yeah, go ahead. Because uh, I was actually on Five Live um, a few weeks ago. Um, they were talking about. Well, here, well, here's what happened. Do you remember what you know when Nico Rosberg won the F1 title? He yeah, he was quite then, a segue, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that sounds so like that doesn't match. Like, oh yeah, we yeah. have to give a tribute to my mum. Do you remember yeah. Formula One? Like, when, <laughs> I'm like, I'm did, your, did your ma- was your mum a Formula One driver? That... <laughs> 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 wow, I did not know this. <laughs> Sorry, go on. So when when he got interviewed, apparently um, the person he said that we you know why this was possible because yeah. of course he retired as well, didn't he? Like virtually the day after. Yeah, what did you think about that? I thought that was quite weird. Yes, weird because I thought, well, well, for a few reasons. I mean, well, you know, I'm not a big F1 fan. Certainly not since the '90s of the great sort of yeah. and, and Ayrton Senna days. Yeah, I know. We which talked why, about that. Yeah. Which is why it's a shame because I thought the Hamilton Rosberg um, rivalry rivalry was the nearest that Formula One have had to that golden mm-hmm. era of of yeah. Senna Prost. 
Yeah, but I think... The point on that, and I thought yeah. he had the potential to win many more. Um, well, yeah, just the quick... It's not as if he's over the hill, is it? Yeah, well, that, that's my point, and also, I mean, like, uh, just a quick uh, segue about Formula 1 is that... It's when they, like, added, uh, was it, what's it called, a curse or something, where they add, like, it's like a, a nightrus thing, where they have curse where you can use it, like, a, a power boost, and, and it's just with all the, like, um, improvements in, you know, in, in every aspect of the car, is that it's a very mechanical experience now, and it's all about how well the car does, as opposed to how good the drivers are to a certain extent, like, that's get, that, that, that aspect of it's getting more and more less relevant. Um and uh, that I think that's essentially the problem the problem they're having, um. But yeah, so I mean, so I'm just reiterating my stance on Formula One is that I I'm with you in that. I know we've I think we talked about this before because we talked about the Senna documentary because that's brilliant. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so yeah. So so he he okay. when interviewed asked yes. who his inspiration was and he mentioned his mother. Yeah. And um, so Five Live one morning were asking people. On the your call thing that they have at nine o'clock every day, they were saying. So, has your mother been uh, inspiration in your life, and why? And people are just naming different things. And I just tweeted, well, basically, what sh- my mother keeps me alive every day, and I was referencing my PTSD. So, uh, yeah. so they they got back to me, and said, well, Nikki Campbell would like to talk to you about it. So, would you mind coming on? And I was like, bearing in mind that you know, uh, those times in the morning are not my best, and. And I often get asked to uh, to go on radio at that time, and sometimes I decline. But on that morning, I said, "Okay, I think I'm well enough to do this." And yeah, and it's basically what it is because my my mum went through postnatal depression when she had me. So with my own PTSD, she kind of recognised that and kind of like when I say inspiration, it, it it's in a different form because basically she. She 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 gives us a, you know a, a boot up the arse at times to make sure that I'm yeah. alive and kicking and she rings me at certain times of the day to make sure I've eaten because she knows that when I'm depressed that the, what the first thing I do is just like not eat yeah and just go like days without eating so she makes sure that I have that's hard like I mean I I I've definitely uh, like recently not to not to crowbar in what you're talking about just mm. quick references just to say. Yeah, I mean that's that's a common thread in a lot of people I know is that um it's it's a very common symptom and it's again people who don't understand who who don't have it is that the 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 utter dread that you feel like to the point of where you go your brain sort of tricks yourself into going I don't need to eat or like I don't feel it's it's almost like you you feel that you don't feel worthy of eating it's like this idea of like uh, that you just don't have the ability to do anything like it's so disconcerting and like it it's so it is so um hard to beat like and but so yeah it, um I have similar people in my life who just um who who text me let me know that that is related to eating disorders as well because I think we chatted before as to mm. you know when we were talking about whether where it's like you know Big people are unfairly classed as like lazy or people who not caring or whatever. Yeah. And I mentioned that behind the scenes there is an eating disorder at dis- on uh, at play here, mm-hmm. and that was further um, proved to my point because, believe it or not, I tuned in one morning. I was whilst I was getting ready, um, Jeremy Kyle was on the TV, right? <laughs> 
pisses and me off. You have to every time you have to mention his name. You, uh, I think everyone who mentions Jeremy Kell's name should be the, the response should be the laugh I just did. And it's like, <laughs> hey. if man, if man give Morgan, you can put them in the same. Box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I don't think I, I wouldn't go. I don't think I'd go that far though. In terms of, I, I would say uh, Jeremy Kell just does a very manipulative, uh, you know, uh, very questionable. Do, do uh, the Americans have show. their own version of Jeremy Kahn? I know he did some shows over he there. He did do yeah. an American version as well, yeah. but I, I, I do, do remember seeing it, but I don't know whether it uh, lasted or... I think or, it stopped, no. I yeah. think uh, whilst he, he was doing it's quite weird. Well, it's why, why do you think that, like... I, just a quick segue, but, like, why do you think, like... I was thinking about this the other day, because uh, do you remember... I don't know whether or not we brought this up before, but do you remember when... Uh, Graham Norton tried to crack America. He brought, he took like so Graham Norton there. Um, there's like years and years ago when he's on Channel Four and he took it to America and did some shows, but it never. Like, why do you think like whenever English people go, like English people bring their own version of the show, it never seems to work. That's very weird. But then, but then our favorite, another of our favorite person, James, is there and he's doing quite. Well, although I know, even though I hate, I don't like him at all. Look <laughs> over it. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Stephen, right uh, at the post-production of the podcast. And what I've realised is that uh, what I didn't realise—well, I, d- I didn't realise at the time—that me and Ricky actually had done about three hours worth of recording. So, in order for this to make sense, because during this time, as you had the cut off, uh, we rough- we got cut off by Skype. So what I'm deciding to do to make it uh, understandable is I'll make a part two and release these as two separate podcasts in order for then it to make sense. So if you want to head over to part two, which will be um, released at the same time, you can continue to hear mine and Ricky's conversation about talk shows and my rather frank view on James Corden replacing the rather brilliant Craig Ferguson. Well, I say replaced Craig Ferguson unless of his own accord. And a whole bunch of other stuff. And like I say, we'll be doing another, I guess it's sort of a part three slash another hosted episode uh, very soon to talk about 2017. So uh, if you enjoyed this part one, why don't you head over and listen to us uh, for part two. And thanks for listening and please do consider, as always, to subscribe. And then the podcast like you always end in the words of the great B-movie robot Josh Crash and Burn. And we'll see you for part two. Thanks, guys. Bye.